children, you are dismissed. <laughs> Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the These are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would or the things that you desire, the things that you wish. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Father, there's so many misconceptions about what it means to be free in Christ, not to be under the law. Lord, it far, far is from a license to live how we desire, how our flesh desires. But God, it is absolute freedom to live the way that you designed us and the way that you created us. You created us to walk in fellowship and in union with you. When man was in the garden, You met with him, you walked with him in the cool of the day. And when sin entered into this world, he hid, he feared, he felt shame, and he felt guilt. And Lord Jesus Christ came and he promised us another comforter that would be with us forever. That we would not be felt like we were orphans, but we would receive the spirit of truth who would guide us and lead us into all truth who would convict us of sin, and who also would empower us to live victoriously. God, help us today to understand the importance of the power that every one of us has. If we have trusted Jesus, that we have been born of the Spirit, and out of our bellies, out of our hearts, flow rivers of living water. So God, I pray that we will live in this abundant life and that we will experience victory over our flesh. God, you are able to do this and you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Thank you for that. And God, I pray today that we will be different because we've heard what you've spoken to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Um, if you got a bulletin, um, there's an outline. If you didn't get one, I've got some extras here. If anybody needs one, I'll just, just raise your hand. I'm not going to do this always, often, or um, so don't get used to it. I'm far, sorry. <laughs> I did it last week, and I, hopefully it was helpful. Um, but in passages like last week, where we're talking about Christian liberty, I thought it would be helpful for you just to be able to, to see what Christian liberty is all about, what Christian liberty is not, what legalism is, and what legalism is not. And I hope those questions about Christian liberty have helped you. They're really simple questions, and I'll just kind of reiterate um, the ones that I can actually remember. One, I am free in Christ, but I need to ask myself, 
if what I'm going to do, what I am thinking, does it bring glory to God? 1 Corinthians 10, 30. And whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Be no offense to the Jew, nor to the church of God, nor to the Gentiles. And Paul says, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant of all so that I might win the more. Secondly, does your Christian liberty have the potential to take you into slavery or bondage? Does the thing that you yielding your liberty to, does it have the power to enslave you? You need to ask that. Okay, if I, if I partake in this, do I have a weakness? Do I have a propensity toward this thing that it's going to make it my master? And Paul says, though I'm free from all things, all things are not helpful. Though I'm free from all things, I will not be brought under the power of anything. So that, that's another question that we can ask. Thirdly, is it going to cause a weaker brother to stumble? Paul said in Romans chapter 14, I will neither eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything that's going to cause a weaker brother to stumble. And then the fourth question, or the fifth question, has to do with your knowledge. You who have knowledge, are you going to eat the things offered to idols, to those who don't have knowledge? Will it not embolden their conscience to do those things that will be a violation of their conscience? And so those are the questions that we can ask ourselves about Christian freedom and Christian liberty. And Paul is almost assuming here that, that people are going to take liberty and use it as a license to do whatever you want. And so he's going to remind them right now here, he says, but what I am saying, walk in the Spirit. Now, it's just two words. It's lego de. Lego is present active indicative. It's something that he is saying and he's wanting them to hear, this is what I am saying. I'm summarizing, and the word de is the word but, or it can be used, translated then or now. And in our English translations, it says then or now, because what Paul is doing, he is summing up for you and I everything that he's been teaching in the entire book of Galatians right here. This is what it's all about. This is the bottom line. You've perverted the gospel by adding any type of work to it. My gospel doesn't come from anywhere else other than direct revelation from Jesus Christ. I wouldn't allow Titus to be circumcised because I didn't want the gospel to be diluted, not even for an hour. When I saw Peter, I had to address him face to face because he knew that he had the Christian liberty to eat with these Gentiles. When, when people from James came, he withdrew himself and played the part of a hypocrite. Chapter 3, are you so foolish, Galatians? Have you begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by your flesh? Have you suffered so many things, if indeed in vain? The one who ministers and does miracles among you, how does he do it? Does he do it by the works of the law, or does he do it by the hearing of faith? Oh, Galatians, who is it that has bewitched you? And then, in chapter Three and four, he gives us all these analogies of what the law was for. The law was like a prison house. It was like a 
a net that encapsulates us under sin. In fact, the law, when it was given, it incites and it provokes more sinfulness. Paul says what I thought to be a law to give life, it actually brought death and it provoked in me an opportunity for my flesh just to act out. I remember when I was in divinity school, we had all these rules and those rules brought out the worst in me. It didn't help me. It didn't guide my behavior. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what laws do. They just, they bring out the worst. Not, they don't bring out the best. And then he says, they were like a tutor. The law was, just had to watch over you day and night because you couldn't be trusted. You weren't mature enough. And then he uses one more analogy in chapter 4, and that's the, the analogy of a son receiving the inheritance. And you don't get the inheritance until you're mature. And when the fullness of time was come, the father said, this is the time that's right. Now you've got the spirit of Christ in you. It's crying out, Abba, Father. He says, furthermore, those of you who want to be under the law, don't you even hear what the law is saying? Don't you remember the story of Abraham and his two wives and how he made a mess of things when he tried to do it under human merit? when he tried to do it with his human wisdom and his human strength, and you want to mess up this gospel, you want to mess up the spiritual life, you are free in Christ. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage, because if you do, Christ will profit you absolutely nothing. If you replace Jesus with human effort and human merit, you negate everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. And the greatest thing that he's accomplished for you is the promise of the Holy Spirit to live in your life. And so he says, I am summing up everything in this book. You've got to get this. This is the bottom line. This is how you don't live a life of licentious sin without the law. And this is how you avoid living your life under the legalistic rules of the law that do nothing to restrain you, that all they do is bring you into slavery, all they do is bring condemnation, all they do is bring guilt, and you've got to live up to every single one of them, by the way. So Paul says this is the summation of all of it. Christian liberty is not a threat. You are free in Christ today. And that is not a threat to purity in Christian living. A lot of people think it would be, but it's not. It is no threat to self-centered living. In fact, just the opposite is true. To think of Christian liberty, however, as a platform for self-centeredness, is to reveal that you probably never understood the gospel. If you think, I'm going to pray and ask Jesus into my heart so I can go to heaven and I can live however I want, that probably reveals you never understood the gospel. Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sin. That's why he came. That is the good news. Or it reveals that you're a baby Christian and you're very immature in your understanding and you really need to reevaluate 
your salvation and your growth in Christ. In fact, anytime the Bible talks about using liberty as a license or for doing whatever you want, Paul says you need to question yourself. Let me just give you a couple of references. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? How does he answer that? In the strongest negative possible, may it never be. Literally, old King James says, God forbid. And then he asks a question. Don't you know that as many of you were baptized into Jesus, were baptized into his death, don't you understand salvation? Salvation is saying, I am baptized with Jesus. I am dead. That old life is gone. I've left it to follow Christ. Another example, Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? The law is gone. I'm not under it. It's not my master anymore. It's not my tutor. It's not this prison house. I'm not under the law. So natural thinking, should I continue to sin? Again, Paul says, don't you know that whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether sin that leads to death or obedience unto righteousness. And here's the problem for every believer. Every one of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that when it comes to sin and we're trying to live the Christian life, that we cannot do it apart from the Holy Spirit. The minute I start to live in my own power and my own strength, I am going to fall. Every Christian knows that and every Christian experiences that. Believers are not under the law, but that does not give us a license to be an outlaw. That was Warren Wiersbe's quote. The law has no power to change us from the inside, does it? It has no ability to do that. It has no power to transform the inner man. The outward man perishes, but the inner man is renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16 The law doesn't change. It only has the authority to show us how to behave and then it condemns us for what we did not do. On the other hand, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, it is to bring about a transformation. It is the new man that we put on that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God took something holy, something good, and something just, the law, and it arouses sinful desires in us just to show us how desperately we need Jesus. The law brings out the worst, but the Holy Spirit produces love that brings out God's very best. In fact, the Holy Spirit brings us back to God's original intent for the human life. And that is to have un broken communion and fellowship with God our Father. That is what the Holy Spirit does. Paul warned right before this verse 
about how legalism divides, bites, and devours one another. That's what the law does. It's a metaphorical term for those who are quick to pick quarrels and slow to forgive. I think everybody who's been married for any length of time knows the flesh and how quick we can bite and devour and how slow we can be to forgive at times. But it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of love and kindness and meekness and gentleness. Allowing Christ to forgive us, allowing ourselves to be led by Christ's love, and relying on the Holy Spirit to produce God's love in us is the only way to live the Christian life. Law has never the answer. So don't get entangled with it. So our first command is imperative. It's a present command. Walk. Parapateo. Para means around about. Pateo means to walk. So I am to walk moment by moment, day by day, thought by thought. That's what it means to walk. And the reason we are to walk in the Holy Spirit because there's an incredible promise that comes with it. Listen to this promise today. This ought to count. This ought to this cause everybody in this room to turn into a, a, a Pentecostal for about 30 seconds. <laughs> Raise your hands and say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. When you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Isn't that an incredible promise? I'm tired of living in defeat. I'm tired of living in spiritual half-heartedness. We can and we are told, commanded to walk in the Spirit. It's a command moment by moment. Now we've got the phrase, in the Spirit. The word in the Spirit has this idea. It's a spiritual realm. It's a metaphysical place that our minds must consciously and willingly yield to. And it also is the agent, the Holy Spirit is the agent that we live in under, in and under His complete control. We have every thought, every deed continuously under His influence of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That I'm consciously willing and yielding my mind, moment by moment, to live in a realm of the Spirit under His influence, under His control. Now, how do I accomplish this? Is there some mystical formula? Do I need to have some kind of pastoral staff lay hands on me and ask God, just give me this supernatural boom moment, and, and man, I'm gone, and I will never be troubled by sin again. I'm, I remember in these churches that I used to go to when I was in college, there was a lady who had a problem with cigarettes, 
And she came up and they laid hands on her and they rebuked the demon of cigarettes and they rebuked the demons of nicotine and they told her to stomp on them. And she was up here stomping on her cigarettes. And she went out into her parking lot and the next thing I know, she was lighting up and she was smoking one of those cancer sticks. That's not the way God works. That's not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not this instantaneous light switch that's just going to go off for you and I. But it is something that you and I, first of all, that we accept and we believe by faith. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the great feast, he said, If anybody is thirsty, let him come to me. So by faith, I am coming to Jesus and I'm surrendering to him. And this he said, Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That is a promise that I have to accept by faith on the person of Jesus Christ, his character, his credibility. Jesus is believable. The more you know Jesus, the more you will trust Jesus. It's not some kind of mystical thing. For me, my salvation came through reading the New Testament, and I came to understand and to believe all who Jesus claimed to be. And when I know something can support me and I know it can hold me up, I can sit on it and I can put all my weight on it. Just like you this morning, you're looking at that chair and you say, you know what, that chair's been proven. I sat on that same chair last week. It's going to hold me up and I'm going to put all my weight in. I can, I can rely. So I, by faith, that's first of all, that's how I, I, I'm filled with the Spirit. Second, I confess all known sin. You cannot be filled and be walking in the Spirit with unconfessed sin in your life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 30, lists a whole bunch of different vices. Stop lying. Stop getting angry. Don't let the sin go down upon your wrath. The one who stole, don't steal no more. Rather, labor with your hands. Give to them who have need. Don't let anything putrid coming out of your mouth. But what is good to the edifying. And then he says, and Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are going to walk in the Spirit, I do it by faith. Secondly, I have to confess all known sin. David said this, and we're living in a different dispensation. I realize that. But David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Now, we never have to fear about the Holy Spirit being departing from us because Ephesians 4.30 goes on to say, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. The rest of that verse says, Whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. We are eternally saved and eternally saved by the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. But I've got to confess sin. Three, obedience. If I want to walk in the Spirit, I need to have prompt obedience to the Spirit's leading. I, by faith, accept it. I confess sin and I obey. It's achieved by presenting Now, we don't have time, but you can write this reference down. Romans chapter 6, 15 through 21, the word present is found five times. It's para, 
istami. It means to lay beside. Para is beside. Istami is to lay. I am to lay beside. I am to put myself at the disposal of God. I have to present myself. The old King James translates it five times the word yield. It means to present your members to place everything at God's side for his disposal. All of my human experience is now under God's control. Remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, and we can make a simple prayer. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Or we can do what Samuel did, Samuel the prophet. When Eli perceived that God was calling him, he told him to say this, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I present myself. I am here, Lord. I am listening. I am well, ready and willing to obey. I am at your disposal, God, and I want to walk in the Spirit. I've confessed my sin, and I believe by faith that I have the Holy Spirit living in my life. Number four, be quick to hear the Spirit's voice when you are tempted. Temptation comes to us all the time. Martin Luther said this, It's no sin to have a bird fly over your head. Just don't let that bird build a nest in your hair. We're all going to be tempted. And be quick to acknowledge the temptation and be quick to repent from the thought. Romans 8, 12 says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But here's the key right here. Listen to this. But if you, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. You and I don't have the power to put to death the deeds of my body. None of us do. The Spirit of Christ does. And when I quickly confess it and acknowledge it, if you will draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto you. If you resist the devil, he will flee. Those are our precious promises today. So here's the promise. It's an incredible promise. Those who live and walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is the strongest way of writing it in the original language. It's a double negative. A double negative. Now, in English, they negate each other. Ain't got no money. We, that means I do have money. <laughs> Remember, I had a bully at school, and he always wanted my money. And I said, I ain't got no money. I could tell him the truth, and didn't, he didn't figure out what I was saying. <laughs> But in Greek, that means you are really broke. Ain't got no money. And Paul uses a double negative here. There is absolutely no way. Isn't this incredible? I tell you, I got a hold of this week and it changed the way I thought. It didn't always change the way I acted. I have to confess that. But it did make me quick to ask forgiveness when I knew I'd blown it. But when you are walking in the Spirit, there's absolutely no way the flesh can fulfill its desires. It's impossible. Paul could not have been more emphatic. That is good news today. Our context identifies the flesh here as those self-seeking, self-gratifying, instantaneous wants that you and I are looking for. The works of the flesh are manifest. They are obvious. And we're going to go over that next week so we don't have time this morning. 
but they are very, very obvious. Now, how does God do this? Human reasoning says, if I just give you some more laws, if I just give you some more rules, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I just, if I just put you in handcuffs, if I put blindfolders over you, then you're, not, then you're going to just behave right. And, and, no, it doesn't work that way. Have you ever told your kids to do something and you have made them do it and they did it with a stubborn resistance the whole time? Remember my little girl? Took her, marched her down the street. And I said, you're going to ask forgiveness. She stood there, I am sorry. <laughs> Law couldn't do anything for her. This is what God did, though. For what the law could not do. What the law could not do. In its weakness, and listen to this, why is it weak? It is weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but who walk in the Spirit. So what the law couldn't do, God did for you and I. Christ came and condemned sin in his flesh so that we could walk in the Spirit. Now, why is this so? One, you and I must realize that the body of sin, when you become a Christian, is not eradicated. Now, I, I don't have to preach on that. I think every believer, in his honest heart, I, I've met some Christians who believed that they could reach a point of spiritual perfection on this earth. And I don't know where they're at, if they're, if they're you know, living in dreamland or what, but that's not the reality, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's some common misconceptions about what it means to be walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the flesh. One of the common misconceptions is at a crisis moment, I'm immediately perfected. If I just go through this crisis... God is all just going to make me another person, and, I, and he does make us a new person, if he means in Christ, but he doesn't eradicate the old man. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't write in Ephesians, put off the old man and his deeds and put on the new man, which is after God created in true righteousness and holiness. A second misconception. If I just have some kind of mystical experience... And this is really where the charismatic people go off on a rut. I need something extra. I need something more. Jesus is not enough. The Bible is not enough. His promises are not enough. I need something extra. I need something mystical. I need some kind of fuzzy-wuzzy feeling, and then I'm going to live this great life. That's not what it's about. A third misconception is that if I just have a rededication moment, this will propel me into a higher Christian living. I grew up in churches that would give altar calls every Sunday. And that's a good thing. I, I think it's a good thing. We need to consciously take what has been preached and make a decision. But the altar became this experiential thing that if I just do this, I'll be on a higher plane this week. But I found myself as a boy coming down the altar almost every week for what they called rededication. 
And I would go through that rededication. Every, this is what somebody needed to tell me. Walk daily, moment by moment, thought by thought. Confess your sin. Yield yourself. Discipline yourself to walk under God's control. That's what I needed somebody to tell me. And, it's, and that's not what it is. It's not this rededication is going to propel me to a higher Christian walk. Second, I need to understand that the flesh and spirit are opposing, have opposing goals. The flesh longs for immediate gratification that will always disappoint. We need to understand that. These things are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you wish. That works both ways. The good things that you want, the wonderful things in, in the prosperous Christian life, when you yield to that flesh, it is not going to deliver. All the time they promise you liberty, but they bring you under bondage, Peter said. So I need to understand that these two have different goals. The Spirit, when I yield to submission, it produces obedience through patience, and the result is holiness. Third, the Spirit who prevents is the Spirit who prevents, not the law. The Christian who's walking in the Spirit's influence and under its agency has the power to overcome the flesh. We are incapable. So the present tense, you will not fulfill. It's ongoing. Now, I want to read this verse and just unravel it for us because... Paul's point is that, as I read it, you'll understand it better. So let's go to verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. And here's, so here's the result clause. So that you may not do what you wish. Paul is not implying that if I live in my flesh, that I'm not going to live as the Spirit wishes me to. That's not his emphasis here. His emphasis is just the opposite. Although that is true, that is not his emphasis. His emphasis in this passage is living the victorious life. So the positive is what he is affirming here. He's rather affirming the reality of victory is already ours when we walk in the Spirit. Don't be fooled, though. Paul is not saying that we can attain moral perfection. Now, that will not come until some eschatological future. As long as you and I are in the body, we are going to have to continually rely on the Holy Spirit. That's what he really wants us to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, for in this tent, we groan. This physical body, you and I are groaning as we live in this body. We are longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, a new body. It is a physical body, but it's a spiritual body. It's a complete body. This is what we're longing for. Not that we might be found naked. Paul is refuting Gnosticism here. Yes, there will be a body, but it's going to be a glorified body. It's going to be a spiritual body. 
For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burning, not that we be unclothed, but that we be further clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So he who has prepared us, prepared us for this very thing has given us the Spirit as an earnest, as our guarantee. So the guarantee is the Holy Spirit that one day we will be free from these physical bodies that are consumed with the passion of sin. Now the law has no hold on those who are being led by the Spirit. Verse 18. So let's conclude this. Verse 18 says this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Very simple, isn't it? The word if is not a question. It is an expectation that has been realized. That's very, very clear. The mood that Paul is using is the mood of reality. It's not a question. If you or since or because while you are being led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. The word order here is important. And the word order has been changed in English to make sense to us. But the word order literally is, if in or by the Spirit you are continually being led. And so Paul puts the word Spirit first, if, since. And he wants to reiterate that the Spirit is what we must depend on. It is the realm that we must live in. He is the agent that we must live under His control to have every thought, every deed continually under His influence and enabling power to be led. Let's look at that word, to be led. But as many, (coughs) excuse me, but if you be led by the Spirit. So the word by, and we don't have the word be led in, in our English translation, but that would be a more accurate because the word led is a passive verb. We don't use passive a lot in our English, but a passive has this idea. It means that I need to rely on an agent in order to comp- complete this. It's the spirit that does the leading. It is his prompting. It is his voice that I must be listening to. The passive has this idea also, that I willfully submit in obedience. When we are led, what we are doing, we are aligning our minds and our will with the will of God. Being led by the Spirit, this is what J.B. Phillips said. He says, we are aligning ourselves with the living God who is able and willing to enter into our human personality and to change it. Not under law. We don't over, overcome hunger pains by starving us ourselves. That doesn't work, right? Man, I'm really hungry, so I'm just going to starve myself. That's kind of what, the, what when we think, I'm, I'm not going to commit any more of these acts of the flesh. I'm just, I'm just going to starve myself. You know, when Jesus said this, if you look at a woman in lust, You've committed adultery. And then Jesus said this, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. 
if he meant that literally, we'd all be walking around Maine today, wouldn't we? If my eye offends me, pluck it out. Now, where was I going with all this? <laughs> yes. You don't add more laws to change the heart. Jesus was saying we radically deal with the issue right here. That's what he meant when he said cut the hand off. Radically deal with a change of mind. Radically deal with the, the, the focus of your life. The law cannot do that. It cannot change us. To remain under the law means that you and I are exposed as unprotected. To try to do it in your own human merit. The minute that Abraham stepped out of the promise of God and said, I'm going to listen to Sarah. I'm going to take Hagar. I'm going to have Ishmael as my child. The minute he did that, he left himself exposed to the enemy and unprotected. But when he trusted God and said, God, at 99 years old, and my wife is 90 and she is barren, that is when he moved into walking in the Spirit and said, okay, God, your promises is what I'm going to rely on. So to be under the law, we are not under the law. We are no longer unprotected. We're no longer exposed to the onslaught of sin. To be under the law is to be living in bondage and defeat. To be led by the Spirit bring simultaneous these things, deliverance from the desires of my flesh. Praise the Lord for that. Secondly, it brings deliverance from bondage of the law that condemns me. Human effort and human merit, I'm set free from that. And thirdly, it brings deliverance from the power of sin. The flesh that produces sin and death versus grace that brings the fullness of the Spirit, are bound up in this eschological tension. What I mean by eschological, I mean the end times. There's going to be this tension, there's going to be this battle, but don't think of it as this hopeless battleground that you and I have to struggle with. As long as we are in this body... We are going to groan awaiting for the glorious liberty of the children of God, Romans 8.21. In fact, all of creation, all of creation groans and travails in birth pains until now. Not only but the creation of our bodies also. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. And that's why I said this is an eschological thing. You and I have the first fruits. We have the down payment. We have the guarantee that what God has started, He's going to complete. And He's never going to remove it from us. We are waiting for the redemption that is the redemption of our body. So what should we do? You and I are to cast out the bondwoman. The flesh has no right to rule in your life, has no place. And how do I defeat it? I defeat it by walking moment by moment, yielding myself to the Holy Spirit's control. Four things that you've got to remember. How do you do that this week? How am I going to walk in the Spirit? 
One, I'm going to do it by faith. I'm going to believe the promises of God. That if I believe in Christ, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, I will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Second, I confess any known sin because I'm grieving the Spirit if I don't. Third, I obey His promptings by presenting myself. I'm yielding myself. I'm setting myself alongside with God and saying, here I am. And four, be quick to hear the voice of God when you are tempted. Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, every time I teach, God, I feel so inadequate. God, I, I feel and I sense that I just didn't do justice to your truth. Because, God, it is so profound. It is so life-changing. And so, God, I pray today, I pray that, God, that the Spirit of God who's in this place and who lives in every believer's heart would write these principles, write this on the fleshly tablets of our heart, God, may our mantra be this week. May our memory verse be this week. Walk in the Spirit. And you in no way can fulfill the lust of the flesh. And help us, God, to realize that these things are antithetical. They are opposed. And God, you've not eradicated. You've not just ripped out the old man. He is still here. But God, you told us in Romans chapter 6, that you have rendered him powerless. You have taken away all of the old man's weaponry. And we do not have to be slaves. We have been set free to be slaves of righteousness. God, help us to realize today that I don't have to look for some kind of second movement of God, some kind of mystical experience some kind of rededication, but God, I need to yield, I need to obey, I need to submit, I need to confess, I need to moment by moment yield my heart to the molding and the agency of your leading. We are not under the law. The law cannot change. God, your spirit is the key to living victory. So, God, I pray that you'll take these truths, write them in our hearts so that, God, that we can come back with a testimony, maybe next Sunday, of, God, how a life has been changed and how victory has been won over things that we didn't have victory over before. God, that's what we're praying today. That's what we're asking from you. Just those little things, God, that only you can do in Jesus' name.